0: What's up everybody? Pastor Matt here. Thank you so much for checking into the podcast of Gospel Fellowship PCA. Hey, listen. What if I told you that there's a solid biblical, doctrinally faithful, reformed church on a beautiful campus just a stone's throw north of Pittsburgh? Yeah, we don't have a Starbucks in the lobby. Sorry about that. We don't have a fog machine. We don't have an American Idol stage with laser lights shooting all around, but We do have the sweetest, kindest people in the world. We sing the Psalms and classic hymns of the faith. We preach the Bible chapter by chapter. We believe the whole thing's true. We love Jesus. We're on a mission to share the good news of the gospel with the world. Would you be interested in a church like that? Well, come check us out, Gospel Fellowship PCA in Valencia, Pennsylvania. Please feel free to visit our website at gospelfellowshippca.org and subscribe to our YouTube channel, Gospel Fellowship Presbyterian Church. All right, thank you so much. Here's today's message.
1: Uh, if you turn in your copy of Scripture to Isaiah 44. Our sermon text today will be just a few verses, Isaiah 44, verses 6 through 8. Uh, You can find that beginning on page 604 if you're using the Pew Bibles. When you found that, would you please stand for the reading and hearing of God's Word? Listen now to the word of our God. Isaiah 44, beginning in verse 6. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. Who is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and set it before me. Since I appointed an ancient people, let them declare what is to come and what will happen. Fear not, nor be afraid. Have I not told you from of old and declared it? And you are my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? There is no rock. I know not any. May God add his blessing on this, the reading of his holy and inspired word. Please be seated. (coughs) God calls you <laughs> his witnesses. Uh, you have known him, he's spoken to you, therefore he's called you to speak for him. Uh, it's a remarkable thing, a witness is simply called to speak of what they've known or seen, uh, to testify to something, a uh, our ordinary use of uh, a witness is, is often, we think of it as someone who testifies in a, a kind of judicial proceeding in a, in a court case. Uh, the best witness is simply one who uh, is not necessarily trying to make an argument as much as they simply speak and testify to what they've seen. A faithful witness, able to speak of uh, what they've known and what's been made known to them. Uh, a witness is one who is a kind of link uh, between, uh, between someone or something else and another person who does not know, as you know, uh, or perhaps does not acknowledge uh, in the same way that you would acknowledge. Very simply, a witness speaks of, uh, of what they know. You're called as the Lord's witnesses. Uh, you speak of the one whom you know and what's been made known to you. But what do you say, <laughs> right? And how do you say it? Um, and what if what if I say it wrong? And what if what if what I say uh, makes it worse? What if it doesn't work? Uh, what if what if when I speak as God's witness, what if it does work? <laughs> and then I have to figure out what to do next. Um, if, if you're like me, those, those sort of questions uh, go through your mind when the, when the scriptures call you, uh, when the Lord calls you his witnesses. Uh, it gets sort of, uh, almost sort of clammy and tight inside, like what, okay, oh no, I'm going to have to talk to someone, and they might ask a question. What do you do? Uh, Well, notice in this passage, uh, even as it says halfway through verse eight, you are my witnesses. And in context, the Lord also says this, fear not, nor be afraid. Uh, Even the fact that 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 the natural response to being called as a witness and even the context of what it means to be his witnesses, the Lord acknowledges and knows what is our natural and immediate response to fear and be afraid? Uh, and he speaks to that rather directly. Uh, we're going to consider today in this uh, from this text, as the text I think considers part of what it means for us to be uh, the Lord's witnesses. Uh, It's beginning with a claim that the lord himself makes the lord makes a claim about himself the lord issues then a challenge he issues a challenge Uh, and then he finally calls us his witnesses Uh, so let's begin with the claim that the lord makes verse 6 the lord says this i am the first and i am the last besides me there is no god now um, right away, it's maybe a little bit odd because most of us, some of us have, but most of us and most of the time, we're, we're not really accustomed to dealing with, uh, with uh, com- competing claims to divinity. Uh, some of us have encountered that where we're actually interacting with others who, who, who say that they're worshiping other gods uh, but more likely uh, you are going to face uh, people who say that there are no gods uh, or perhaps those who, um, who, who don't give too much thought to the question and, and, and really what's going on is, is they, they treat uh, someone or something else in a way that only God should be treated. So functionally something that takes the place of God, anything that has sort of uh, God-like sway or power in someone's life. So that's that's what I want us to keep in mind as we as we dig into this, and even thinking about uh, what we face when we are His uh, witnesses. What do we or others treat as though it were God, having kind of an unmoved place of power or? or something that has almost wholehearted commitment. Um, it could be things as simple as someone's career. <laughs> How often does everything get pushed out of the way simply for self-advancement in a career or, uh, or perhaps your comfort or reputation. There's things uh, we would seek or, or never dream of doing for the sake of preserving our own reputation, even sometimes good things like your children or possessions. Uh, some of the challenges that we face uh, when we are the Lord's witnesses, we recognize that these things have uh, n- not only, a, apart from the Lord's grace, a grip on our own hearts, but, but almost seem to be blinding and all controlling in the lives of those whom we would speak to. What do we do when something has a godlike grip on someone else's mind and heart? Uh, maybe, again, it's as trivial as the, the one hour of peace that you insist be yours before you go to bed. <laughs> uh, something that has a, a preeminent place that no one dare touch. Something good comes, they get the credit. If anything bad, it's because you don't have it or because they're offended. Um, uh, we We are... Uh, Tempted uh, to be afraid of these things, whether it's alternative claims to being God or simply the kinds of things, the commitments that others have that lay hold upon their lives and frame their service and motivate them. Uh, We are afraid because it uh, would seem to make our witness ineffective and fruitless. Uh, how can i tell someone of the need they have of the savior when their life is so well put together and they have everything they need <laughs> seems like possessions have an immovable place makes it fruitless or even makes our witness dangerous as we fear the fury of what's unleashed when we speak on behalf of the lord so have that broad perspective of what we're dealing with when the lord says i'm the first and the last besides me there is no god even if not called God. There is nothing that would have and can continue to have the place that God alone must have in the lives of those whom he has made. So what is he getting at here? I'm the first, I'm the last, I'm the first besides me. There is no God. Certainly thinking of first and last, it's appropriate for us to understand uh, both sort of the beginning and end point of how we think we reason the the one from whom are all things the one who is the goal of all of history but but what's the focus in these verses is the first and the last in the sense that God is making an exclusive claim to divinity denying the existence of any God besides him so beginning here I am the first besides me there is no God if there is any God likeness in anything at all And it's attributed to that thing or that person instead of God. Here's the first thing we need to remember. It's stolen from God. He was first. The Lord says, I am first. Besides me, there is no God. It's like, how often have you seen a, uh, you watched a movie and you realize, wait a minute, this is just a remake of an old one. (laughs) You're all so impressed by this, but it's not new. Or or a song on the radio, right? And everyone loves it. And you realize, no, they just they stole that from the from the guys I used to listen to when I was your age. Uh, we're we're tempted to fear. We're tempted to fear when we see things that have almost a kind of godlike quality in in the lives of others, or or almost a godlike fury when we speak for the Lord and what is going to be unleashed. But don't be afraid to to recognize those things. The power is real. Uh, The grip that it has on people's lives, on a society, on a nation is real. But remember, the Lord says, I am the first. Besides me, there is no God. Uh, two things I'd encourage you to do as we function, as, as we live as God's witnesses, and we notice things that have this kind of grip upon people's lives, motivating them, forming how it is that they think, what they do, how they respond, what they fight for, uh, the kind of power that is exerted. As you notice those things, uh, may they remind you of your God who is first. <laughs> is there any power that you would fear? God is first. And also let them, uh, let them uh, provoke your spirit. These are things that are stolen from the Lord. Uh, and remember that God himself is provoked against them because they are his. Second thing with this, I am the first, besides me there is no God. Not only is any God likeness that you would notice stolen from God, but any God likeness really is a distortion or a counterfeit or a fake if it's rendered to someone or something else rather than the one true God. Um, don't, don't be so impressed by uh, rival claims. Don't be so impressed by what uh, can be done in the hearts and lives of others as though it is any real opposition in the face of God when he chooses to act. Uh, he's the first Anything else is a mere uh, counterfeit to him. He says, I'm the first besides me, there's no God. He says also, I'm the last besides me, there is no God. Um, there are many things, sometimes under the name of, uh, of gods, but many things that are allowed uh, for a period of time to function as though they were gods. Um, a man is uh, uh, given a measure of control over the world <laughs> or a nation. A particular idea captivates the world and, and, and determines what people do or don't do, what they fight against, what they preserve and love. Uh, uh, perhaps even a, a particular goal motivates someone to get up in the morning and to do great things, but it still has the place that god himself should have or, or a person or a hobby maybe fills you or someone with a sense of worth and dignity and pleasure there are things that for a time um, are allowed to function um, as as though they were gods giving blessing or perhaps vengeance when they're crossed but but remember, the Lord says, I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. Every single man, country, idea that competes with God will in the end be torn down. And it will be God alone. He's the last. Um, uh, when, when the uh, Winter Olympics uh, uh, come, uh, my, uh, my family enjoys watching the downhill uh, ski races. Uh, Kelly's uh, family is a family of skiers, so they love to they love to watch those. So I so I watch it too, and and it's it's really fun to watch because uh, when you have a, a a contest like this, you have one skier goes down, and it can be an impressive run, and then the next skier goes down and they beat them, <laughs> and the next one goes down and then they beat them, and it's and it's thrilling to wait. and And what you know is you never you never celebrate too cern too soon until the last skier. Has run. The Lord is last. Uh, the Lord is last. Uh, whatever glory, beauty, worth, or goodness you see that seems to captivate and even blind and harden or invigorate uh, the world, a world of unbelief, the Lord is last, and it will be shown that besides Him there is no God. Uh, we have no need to fear these things. This is the claim that the Lord makes. I'm the first and I'm the last. Besides me, there is no God. It's, it's, it's a bold claim, but it's, there it is. <laughs> uh, he, will, he will show it. The Lord makes this claim, and then it's the Lord himself who issues a challenge. Notice in verse 7. After saying this, the Lord says, Who is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and set it Before me, Uh, we we are surprised and anxious, are we not, that there's going to be opposition, uh, that rivals uh, to the Lord's glory and his dignity are going to come to the surface. But notice this who takes the initiative to call them out? The Lord does, doesn't He? The Lord says, who is like me? Let him proclaim it. If you think it, say it. Uh, he's the one who calls this out. Um, uh, it's, it's kind of like this. Uh, when if, if you have someone who is a, uh, a, a champion boxer, <laughs> they're not going to sit on the couch and keep it to themselves, right? <laughs> they're going to say, I'm the champion of the world, right? Who's, who's going to come and challenge me? Um, and, they don't, and they don't say it hoping that, that their words are going to intimidate all of their opponents. They're actually eager for an opportunity to prove it and to show it. They want it. Uh, when, when you see or you face... What a rival claims, either by name or even in terms of just the influence and place that they have in people's and in the world's life. When you see rivals to the Lord, it's the Lord who calls them out so he can show his greatness and his glory. Don't be afraid of it. The Lord has called it. Who is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and set it before me. Um, If it surfaces, it's the Lord's uh, doing to bring it out to, to demonstrate his own greatness. But notice this. Not only does the Lord summon, not only does the Lord issue this challenge, but who does he challenge? He challenges the rivals themselves. Who is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and said it before me two things to notice uh, in terms of how we often experience this and see this uh, that we need to pay attention to what is the subtlety of opposition against the lord Um, oftentimes uh, when you hear objections raised to who the lord claims to be and who he is and to what he's done notice that most often what you are hearing is not an objection um, of one who is claiming to be God. That's, that's rather, rather rare. It often takes the form of someone who is functioning as though they are a witness to something else taking the place of God. So notice the subtlety of opposition and remember where, where the battle lines are. <laughs> Uh, we can we can forget this sometimes, often someone again who raises an objection. Uh, they are not necessarily themselves the one whom we oppose, <laughs> uh, but the one who they claim has the place of God. It's rather rare to find a direct challenge to God. this is this is often what happens again, thinking of a uh, of, of a champion boxer who, who, who calls out anyone who would want to challenge him. It's as though there's a, a, a challenge that's issued and then the only thing that can be heard are people saying, yeah, well, you should fight so-and-so. <laughs> you should fight him. He could totally take you down. It's like, well, where is he? Not, notice the subtlety of opposition. It's not, it's not often the direct kind of challenge that the Lord would call here. Why? Well, because when it does happen, uh, it's rather fierce in how the Lord deals with it. So this is the second thing is the Lord um, summons the rivals himself. We pay attention to the subtlety of opposition. The battle lines not often as we think it is, but notice also the scarcity of direct opposition. Look at Acts 12, if you would. I want to show you what happens and what can happen in what the Lord is certainly able to do. When something approaches direct opposition, Acts 12. It's a day when Herod. comes out and says on acts 12 verse 21 on an appointed day herod put on his royal robes took his seat upon the throne and delivered an oration a speech verse 22 and the people were shouting the voice of a god and not of a man immediately an angel of the lord struck him down because he did not give god the glory and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last And that was only because there was a the challenge given by way of his silence. Now the Lord's not going to deal as uh, as swiftly as we always as we see in this passage, uh, but it is no less certain that He does indeed deal with direct opposition. Notice the scarcity of the opposition, because often. It's indirect because the enemy knows that he dare not come any closer. Remember that in terms of what we face. James uh, 2 verse 19, the context is he's, he's speaking about um, the foolishness of pride and in, in, in mere agreement with the truth of a statement if there's not really a living faith that trusts in the Lord and serves him. But he says something that gives us a sense of what the demons themselves even think. He says this, James 2.19, you believe that God is one, you do well. (laughs) Even the demons believe and shudder. Uh, We would be foolish to underestimate our great opponent, the evil one, but not even Satan is so foolish as to underestimate our God. Uh, Remember this in terms of what the rivals Uh, to the Lord are. Well, the Lord issues this challenge. The response can either be uh, direct, and we know that the Lord is able to deal with it swiftly, even if he takes his time. Uh, It can be indirect, uh, showing that it's not our opponent who is to be feared, but the Lord himself. Um, But what what does this have to do with us, (laughs) right? It's the Lord's claim. He calls out, his rivals, he calls them, well, notice verse 7, this is where it gets into uh, what this has to do with us and we as his witnesses. And it's actually interesting because he he sets this up as the Lord making it clear that uh, his, his saying that he is God, besides me there is no God, is not simply what he has said, but what he has shown. And almost the sort of first piece and 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 main piece of evidence that he holds out that says this is what demonstrates that he is the one who must be challenged, that any rival simply turned against one another is a kind of wasted battle when there's another champion. Everything needs to be directed to him, otherwise it is nothing, is this. Notice what he grounds it in, verse 7. Who is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and set it before me, since I appointed an ancient people. We consider what it means uh, that God calls us his witnesses. The first thing is this. Uh, We, his people, are the product of what he has done. The fruit of his work. What already demonstrates his power and his glory. Now, not because of ourselves, but because of the greatness of what God has done. You remember, it's as much like the book of Job at the beginning, when it's the Lord who says to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? The Lord is wanting to say and to show, do you not see that I have made a people for myself? Uh, Showing what is the greatness of his work, even in saving now. Turn, if you would, to Genesis 3.15. I think this is the place where this begins. Considering how we function as witnesses, we're the product of what he has done. We are, even the very fact of our existence, testifies to the Lord even before we speak. Genesis 3.15 I'll begin in 14. This is the Lord speaking to the serpent, the ancient serpent, Satan himself. It says this, because you have done this, deceiving the woman, because you've done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. Um, this is the Lord beginning what is the fact that he sets apart for himself a people those who at this point on account of their sin and of their listening to the serpent uh, would naturally be those who were simply on his side but what does the Lord do he puts a wedge between the woman and the serpent, her seed, and the serpent's seed. He is appointing for himself a people. Um, and so from this point on, what do we have? We see uh, what is the Lord showing. However much the evil one may rage, you still have to deal with this fact. God has saved for himself a people. <laughs> He's not appointed for himself an ancient people. It demonstrates the work of our God. Now, um, if, we speak to, if we speak to others and point out the fact that there is a church that exists, those who, who call upon the name of the Lord, most, most people in the wor- world may, may not really be all that impressed with that. <laughs> but remember again, what are the dynamics involved as we function as his witnesses? When the evil one sees it, he trembles. Because the Lord has established His work. Uh, think of what the the existence of the church and the people of God means to the evil one. That in spite of his his uh, greatest ragings, the Lord has still saved for Himself a people. Uh, we think of ourselves as witnesses. We, we are, in our very existence, the fact that God has saved us by his grace. We're the product of what he has done. Uh, secondly, we are, we are the speakers of what he will do. And this is part of what uh, uh, is, is maybe a little bit nerve-wracking about this text, where, where the Lord issues a challenge, calling rivals, but then when the rivals come, who does he call to speak? Isaiah 44, since I appointed an ancient people, let them declare what is to come and what will happen. Uh, This is you, his ancient people, the people of God. It's like calling, calling the rivals to come, and then who is it that's going to speak and almost settle this dispute? He's calling his people to function as his witnesses. Uh, again, just to get a sense of what this is, it's like, it's like the champion boxer saying, all right, who wants to challenge me? And then when challengers come, he says, all right, you're going to fight the people who train in my gym. <laughs> you're going to see what happens. This is how the Lord demonstrates his greatness. Look again, Genesis 3.15, or hear this. The Lord says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. It's right and important for us to understand this as being fulfilled and focusing upon the work of Christ to crush the head of the serpent. But I also want you to notice Romans 16, the way Paul talks about this. Romans 16, verse 19, for your obedience is known to all so that I rejoice over you, but I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil evil. Verse 20, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. It is God who crushes, it is his power that crushes. But as Paul says here, the feet under which he is crushed is his church demonstrating. That so great is his power that even under feet like ours, which aren't much, (laughs) the Lord is going to bring him low. So here's what happens. Uh, Even the least amongst his people will put the greatest of God's rivals to shame. Uh, That's what we remember. Uh, as he calls us as witnesses. Now, this is not something we simply have in ourselves. We're the product of what he's done. Uh, We are the speakers of what he will do. But verse 8 of Isaiah 44, Fear not, nor be afraid. Have I not told you from of old and declared it? We are equipped and made ready by what he has said to us. He's equipped us. To speak what he has spoken. Declare it. Declare what is to come. Well, how would I know? Well, he's told you. Have I not told you from of old and declared it? Uh, Declaring what he has made known. So what what is it then we've declared? The, The focus of this text is not to elaborate it, but we have to comment on this. Declare what is, let them declare what is to come and what will happen. I'll summarize it this way and then I'll show you how where we see this in scripture, summarize it this way. What do we speak? What is it that is to come that we are to declare? Uh, we declare that the coming suffering is the Lord's doing. And it's guaranteed sequel is blessing for his people. The coming suffering is the Lord's doing and it's guaranteed sequel is blessing for his people look in context Isaiah 43 verse 25 I I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, own sake and I will not remember your sins verse 28 therefore I will profane talking about how sorry verse 27 your first father sinned and your mediators transgressed against me therefore I will profane the princes of the sanctuary and deliver Jacob to utter destruction, and Israel to reviling. As the people of God anticipate going into exile, it is not because foreign gods have triumphed over the Lord, but because of what the Lord is doing. The coming suffering is the Lord's doing. What does that mean? Does that mean the people of God are simply rejected? No, the Lord moves right into this. uh, Chapter 44, verse 1. Now hear, O Jacob, my servant Israel, Whom I have chosen, thus says the Lord, who made you, who formed you from the womb and will help you. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant. Verse 3, I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. And he goes on talking about what was once a name of reviling is a name that others would flock to and claim to themselves. The Lord will bless his people. The coming suffering is the Lord's doing, but to those who hold fast to his promises, the Lord does indeed promise what is blessing and goodness by his grace. It's a call not for fear, but for endurance. Christ does something very similar, Mark 10 verse 32 Jesus and his disciples, they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them, and they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid because of the opposition Jesus faced from Jerusalem. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him. Here's what's going to take place. He says this, see, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, And they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days he will rise. Uh, They're going to see Christ delivered over and crucified and died. But what is this? This is not the work of man overwhelming God. This is the work of God. As Christ is going to die for his people. And after this, what? And after three days, he will rise. The coming suffering is the Lord's doing, and it's guaranteed sequel is blessing. Even what Jesus says to his disciples, uh, this, a number of passages we could go to, Mark 13, thirteen. Jesus says to them, you will be hated by all for my name's sake. Uh, Certainly there is a persecution that comes that is an evil, hostile opposition to the Lord. But why is it that we would suffer? Because the Lord has put his name upon us. Does not manifest his doing and what he has done that he has caused us to be his own. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. This is what Peter's getting at when he talks about giving a reason for the hope that is within us. Why do we have hope when we suffer for righteousness sake? Because Christ suffered once for sinners, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might reconcile us to God. He suffered. Therefore, we suffer. He is in the heavenly places as one who has reconciled us to God. Therefore, we have the confidence that he is able to hold fast to us to the end. Uh, in conclusion, I want to just note uh, who, who is it that benefits from our being witnesses. Now, certainly um, a crucial, <laughs> don't miss this, please. <laughs> it's not the main point of the text, but please don't miss this. The crucial uh, thing that we seek when we function as witnesses of our God in what we say and declare of what God has done and what our hope is, a crucial thing that we care about and what we seek is that others also would come to know him. The scriptures are clear about that. Uh, The disciples are his witnesses as we carry the gospel out to every place in this world. And we know that the Lord is gathering people to himself. But in Isaiah 44, part of the focus here, and this is something that we cannot forget, we think about who benefits from our being witnesses, um, it's it's actually the people of God here. Uh, It does not simply come down to did it work and did someone come to faith? Uh, Pray that the Lord would be gracious to use our meager witness to that end, but even if not, notice who this last question is addressed to. And you are my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? Who's who's that addressed to? You. (laughs) Um, Is there a God besides me? There is no rock I know not any. Part of the point is that he is holding out that here is an opportunity for you to see demonstrated and displayed that even in the midst of, Of functioning as witnesses, as the hostile rivals to the Lord are brought out, and you speak, and you speak a word that even says, I expect that we're going to suffer. (laughs) What you will see is that God Himself is your rock, there is no other. Uh, You will benefit in terms of knowing your God and seeing displayed that he alone is the rock and refuge of his people. Who stands to benefit as we are those whom he has called his witnesses? Are not at least the people of God who have known him? And been spoken to by him, our God. Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Uh, Lord God, we do thank you that you are God. Besides you, there is none other. Uh, Hold fast to us. May we be found faithful as your witnesses to speak of what you've made known to us. Uh, And may we uh, know you uh, more fully, even as we suffer for Christ's sake. These things we pray in his name. Amen.
0: Hi, everybody. My name is Rob, and I am a deacon at Gospel Fellowship PCA. I'm also the sound engineer,
1: the camera guy, and the podcast manager. Thank you so much for listening to today's message. Please come visit us in person. Gospel Fellowship is a Bible-believing church just north of Pittsburgh, and you can find us at gospelfellowshippca.org. See you next time.